everybody. Welcome back to uh, the Compass Church. Welcome back to our, our series, Family Circus. Our, our family is a circus. Yours is a circus. I know it is. They're, they're challenging. They're crazy. And they're also beautiful. And we're going to be talking specifically about taming tigers. <laughs> what do you think that is? We got these little wild beasts running in our house that need to be trained. And I want to be real clear that there's going to be uh, obvious application to those of us with, par- or with kids that are still in the house, but there is universal application for this message as well. We have grandparents who are in the house, and as you're going to see, being a grandparent provides you an exciting opportunity to uh, impact the younger ones. Uh, some of us, you know, we have adult children, and uh, I would remind you that our parenting task never really ends. And you have opportunity to influence for Jesus, your adult children. I would also add that those who have no kids, no grandkids, no kids, uh, you can find people, young people in your lives where you can be God's agent of influence in those young people through applying the verses we're going to study. And so all of us, I think you're going to love these verses. I want to start by telling you or showing you a video of uh, the son, the adopted son of Ronald Reagan. His name is Michael Reagan. And uh, Michael Reagan shared some words about his dad, President Ronald Reagan, uh, back at Ronald Reagan's funeral. And they're inspiring, beautiful words that I'd like you to take a look at now. I was so proud to have the Reagan name and to be Ronald Reagan's son. What a great honor. He gave me a lot of gifts as a child. Gave me a horse. Gave me a car. Gave me a lot of things. But there's a gift he gave me that I think is wonderful for every father to give every son. The gift that he was going to be with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He had back in 1988 on a flight from Washington, D.C. to Point Magoo told me about his love of God, his love of Christ as his Savior. I didn't know then what it all meant, but I certainly, certainly know now. I can't think of a better gift for a father to give a son. And I hope to honor my father by giving my son Cameron and my daughter Ashley that very same gift he gave to me. Knowing where he is this very moment, this very day, that he is in heaven, And I can only promise my father this. Dad, when I go, I will go to heaven too. And you and I and my sister Maureen that went before us, we will dance with the heavenly host of angels before the presence of God. We will do it. Melanoma, 
and Alzheimer's free. Thank you for letting me share. My father, Ronald Wilson Reagan. Isn't that, that's a beautiful moment. And it's a moment we'd all love, you know, at our funeral for our children to stand up and proclaim that the love and trust of Christ they saw in us is in them and that they are passing it on to the next generation. It's that lineage of faith that we all long for, to be able to see this love for Jesus go through the generations. It's just absolutely the dream of all of us. But it's hard, and unless unless we think that it's easy and that it all falls into place and for everybody it goes real well, let me remind you that even in Ronald Reagan's story, he has two sons. That was Michael, and he has a son named Ron, a biological son. And uh, Ron made a commercial that I'd like you to take a look at at this time. Hi, I'm Ron Reagan an unabashed atheist, and I'm alarmed by the intrusions of religion into our secular government. That's why I'm asking you to support the Freedom From Religion Foundation, the nation's largest and most effective association of atheists and agnostics, working to keep state and church separate, just like our founding fathers intended. Please support the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Ron Reagan, lifelong atheist, not afraid of burning in hell. That is the nightmare of every Christian parent. And for Ronald and Nancy Reagan, one of their greatest anguishes was the spiritual waywardness of their son, Ron. I guess when, they were, when he was in high school, teenage years, he refused to go to church with the family. And uh, Ronald Reagan shared with confidence that the greatest ache in his life was the salvation of his son, Ron. In fact, I quote, he said, my only prayer, which may be hyperbole, but my only prayer is for my son, Ron, to become a Christian. And uh, I think we can relate to that fear and to that ache and to that longing. I, I look at my kids and do I want them to do well in their career? I suppose, but that's not my first longing. Do I want them to get married and supply me grandchildren someday? Yeah, that'd be nice. But ultimately, I don't care compared to my desire that they would know Christ and live a life of robust devotion to Jesus. That is the longing of my heart. That's the point of life. That's why our church mission statement is to love him more, so more love him. It's what it's all about. And it's hard my wife looked at me, she goes, so you're going to teach on parenting, are you? Huh? And I'm like, I go, you want to teach it? And she's like, I don't want to teach it. You know, we're, we're struggling. I think raising kids to follow Jesus in this culture may be more difficult than uh, any time in our uh, recent memory. So how do we do it? I, I'll just be honest. I approach this topic with, with great humility, desiring to learn myself. And I say, Lord, show me your plan. And I I come to these verses we're about to look at with enthusiasm because they show a way. 
They show a way. They give us understanding of what the goal is for what we want to happen in our kids. They show us steps we can take towards that end, and they they show us promises that are very encouraging. And so let's turn to them together. I want to look in the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you're inclined to look on the Bible on the CPAC, you'll find it on page 1199. 1199. 2 Timothy 3.14, the Apostle Paul is teaching this young man named Timothy. And Paul says this, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Folks, uh, two verses jam-packed with stuff we need when it comes to this high calling of influencing the younger generation. And I want to start, I just want to work through this kind of phrase by phrase with you. And the first phrase I'd like to camp on for a moment, it says, you've learned and have become convinced of. Timothy has gone through a two-stage process of spiritual formation. You could describe his own spiritual growth in these two stages. He learned, and then he became convinced of. Do you see the difference? The difference is about the head and the heart. Maybe we could phrase it this way. To go from information to conviction. That's what we're talking about, right? Uh, At first, our Christian faith tends to be information in the mind, but it needs to grow to conviction in the heart. If that progress doesn't happen... Uh, we're not winning the day. If, if our young people, if our kids have a lot of information about God in their head, that's great, but that's not where we want to get. We want it to progress to conviction of the heart. They can know the gospel message about how they can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. They can know that God's supposed to be the number one thing and that he loves them and that he forgives them and that he wants to use them and he wants to lead them. They can know that, but if they don't feel it, if it's not burning in them, if they've not come to a place where they say, the Lord is it, he is so beautiful and so wonderful and so worthy of my one life. You know, that heart is what we're longing for. And I'll, I'll be transparent with you. I went through this two-step uh, transition in my own life. I grew up in a Christian family where I was taught. I learned much. I had much information in the head. But it was not conviction. I wasn't convinced of it in the heart. And it was actually in college that I started going through a very dark season of doubting. And for me, it centered on the very existence of God. I can't wait uh, for this new series, Rethink, that's coming up, because we're going to look into the evidence for God's existence, for the identity of Jesus as the Messiah, Son of God. And as the Bible being true, it's going to be great. It resonates with me. But in those days, I was doubting God's existence. And the only one I confided in was my girlfriend, Jennifer, who's now my wife. Didn't tell anybody else. Didn't want to freak them out. But I said, Jen, I'm really struggling. She was so worried about me that one day as we were having dinner with her parents, she decided to include them in my little struggle. Thanks, Jen. Here I'm trying to impress your Christian parents, and now you're telling them, you know, Jeff is struggling to believe God even exists these days. 
That was great. And I'll never forget the response of my father-in-law. He looked at me and he said, Jeff, that's wonderful. I'm like, did you understand what she said? Uh, She said that I'm doubting God's existence. And he clarified to me, he goes, you need this. He said, Jeff, you've been living on your parents' faith. You've been believing uh, only because they told you it's so. And you're going through a necessary and beautiful process. You're grappling with, do I believe this? Is this true? Is this meaningful? Do I want to live for this truth? And he said, Jeff, keep wrestling. Keep begging God to show himself. Keep talking about these challenges. And he said, I think you're going to come out on the right end of this. He's a pretty smart guy. Wouldn't you agree? He was right. As difficult and as frightening as that journey of doubt was, it was that wrestling that led to me being convinced I came out the other end of that dark tunnel on fire. It wasn't my parents' faith. I had met Jesus Christ. I adored Jesus Christ. I was going to live my one life for the one who died to save my soul. I was convinced. And that's what we need in our kids. You know, to say, hey, their heads are filled with information. That's not the victory. And so I try not to freak out when my kids tell me that they're doubting. And you say, parents, kids, go through hard times spiritually? Yep. And I lean into and try to take on the perspective of my father-in-law. God, they need this. They've got to wrestle with you. And I encourage them to talk with me about those doubts. And let's, let's, let's see what God does. And let's, let's uh, pray for them. And let's get them in a dialogue and encourage them to cry out for God to show himself and to seek the Lord in the word. And uh, that's the very movement we've got to set as our high objective. Not only that they'd have information in the head, but conviction in the heart. Now, How? That's the next question. What steps do we take to get our kids to go to conviction in the heart? And what's great about this passage is it's going to show us a two-step plan towards that end. Let's move on to the next phrase. He says, you, Timothy, you know those from whom you learned it. Who's he referring to? You know the people from whom you've learned this biblical truth. Since your infancy. Who's he referring to? Who are the people that he has learned from? And and what's interesting is that earlier in the book of 2 Timothy, namely 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it tells us his grandma Lois and his mother Eunice. Apparently, uh, Paul says, the, the faith in Jesus first was in Lois, your grandmother. Boy, she fell in love with the Lord. And then it went to your mother, Eunice. And now, he, Paul says, I'm convinced it's in you, Timothy, as well. Paul is challenging Timothy to remember the people that he first learned this from. Their lives speak. In fact, let's put it this way. Live the life. That's the first thing of God's agenda, God's strategy for getting kids from information to conviction. He said, you got to live the life. 
the kids need to see it, the Christian life in beautiful display in the lives of grandparents and parents who are living it. What's interesting with Timothy, you say, what about his dad? In Acts chapter 16, verse 1, the Bible tells us that Timothy's dad was a Gentile. His mom and his grandma, they were Jewish and they converted to Christianity. All it says is dad was a Gentile. And I would assume he never converted to Christianity because his example was not one that Paul encouraged Timothy to look towards. He said, look to your mom. Look to your grandma. Remember how you saw Christ alive in them or see Christ alive in them. Uh, I imagine that Timothy had a divided household where he saw his dad embodying the ways of the world And he saw his mom and his grandma embodying this life of following Jesus. And Timothy chose, was inspired by the example he saw in his grandma and his mom. Isn't that beautiful? And so, folks, folks, one of the things God says, you know, you got to do parents, grandparents, live the life so that they are enamored by the beauty of Christ in you. Now, you may say, I'm not so sure the beauty of Christ is very much on display in me. I'm aware of my own inconsistencies and failures and struggles. Here's what I've learned. Don't try to act perfect. If if you say, oh, the kids are watching, so I better put on a facade of Christian perfection, they will, they're smart. They will see through that and all they'll see is hypocrisy that turns them off. Rather, get real. The Christian life is a battle. It's hard. Let them see the battle. Let them see the victories. Let them see the failures. Let them see the struggles. And you don't have to be perfect. You have to be real and really seeking to follow Jesus. The beauty of Christ will come through that picture of genuine struggle. Just this week, I was talking with my daughter, Jora, who next month turns 18. And uh, I I, I was challenging her. I I saw failure in her life, and I lovingly provided a little challenge to her. And then the Holy Spirit's like, Jeff, you fail in the same area. She doesn't need to know that, Lord. You know, and I had a moment like that, and I realized I have to be truthful with her. I said, Joy, I'm challenging you to rise up in this area. Your dad fails in that same area. In fact, you may have inherited this from me. Isn't that great? <laughs> and right when I was pretty proud of myself for being vulnerable, she got really excited about that and pushed deeper and said, really? You fail there too? Tell me about that, she said. <laughs> and then she said this. She goes, Dad... What consequences in your life have you suffered as a result of that failure? I'm like, don't ask me that. You know, I don't know. That's a highly inappropriate question. No. You know, we engaged in a deep discussion about my own failure. And as the conversation ended, I could see, you know what? That was good. It was real good. She is inspired by what she sees, and that is a real man really struggling to become like Jesus. And and he has days of victory, and he has days of failure, but he gets up, he finds forgiveness, and he presses on. And that's what the kids need to see. So show them your heart. Show them your failure, and your rejoicing in forgiveness. Show them your restart. 
Show them your growing love. Your love for the Lord is not perfect, but I'm assuming it's there. And tell them, let them see the life of Christ in you. Say, man, I love Jesus. I didn't used to, but I'm loving him more and more. Let them see your love for the church. The bride of Christ is imperfect, especially at the Compass Church. But I love the church. Let them see your love for the word. Let them see your love for people, your neighbors, and your desire to serve them. Let them see your love for the lost, like Jesus longing for the salvation of those you know. Let them see these growing loves, because they're beautiful, and your kids will be moved by them. Live the life, because the kids need to see it in us. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Let's move on. It says, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. From the time Timothy was a little toddler, his folks, his mother and his grandmother had been teaching him the Holy Scriptures. Isn't that cool? The second point is this. Teach the truth. Live the life. Teach the truth. Paul says, Timothy, here's what's happening in you, buddy. Do you realize this? You're going from information to conviction. And it's because you can look at those that you've been taught by. You know the ones who you've learned it. And how from infancy you have been taught these scriptures. Now, why do we want our kids to know the scriptures? Is it so that they can get the next badge in Awana clubs? No. We want them to know the scriptures because scripture transforms them. The scriptures speak who God is. The beauty of God's heart is revealed in the scripture. The kids will not know the beauty of God's heart, been wooed by the beauty of God's heart unless they learn the scriptures. The scriptures teach about the beauty of life with God, the forgiveness that's available, the adoption into God's loving family, the this Holy Spirit's empowerment that enables us to live a life on mission, making a difference in our world in the name of Jesus. This stuff is compelling, and it's what's described in the book. And the kids need to know what's in the book. They need to see life and understand life through their knowledge of the book. We had a victory in our family. Can I brag just a little bit? Jake uh, is in public school, and Jake said, Dad, you want to hear what happened in school today? I always want to hear what happened in school today. I'm like, yeah, tell me. And he said, Dad, it was bad. He said, there was a kid, little girl, and she uh, took a plate with a pile of flour. Apparently they were doing like a science experiment, measuring flour. And she took this plate of flour, and Dad, she blew it all over the classroom, and it made a total mess. He goes, but wait. He goes, then she takes a second plate of flour. And she came over to a little boy, and she said, now you do it. And he blew it all over the classroom. And then Jake gets real philosophical looking, and he says, Dad... It was just like when Eve gave Adam the apple. I said, Jake, women are trouble, son. Just remember that. You know, we laugh, but I rejoice that Jake understands the Word of God. And when he looks at what's happening in his classroom, he sees it through a biblical paradigm. He says, that is this. 
And he sees what temptation looks like and what peer pressure looks like and what sin looks like. And he understands increasingly life because he understands the word. And that's the goal. And so how do we get the word in our kids? How do we teach them the truth? Well, you may know that bringing them to church is a good move, right? If you've got grandkids, bring them to church as much as you can. If you've got kids, bring them to church. We are committed. Uh, uh, Dan Huffman and his team are awesome. And we just thank God for their devotion to teaching our kids the truth. Awana clubs, bring them to Awana. One of the things I love about Awana is the centrality of the Word of God in that program. But if you assume that bringing your kids to church is enough, that you say, all right, you guys do it, you know, teach them the Word. No, that's not enough. You must teach them yourself as well. And how does that look? Well, in the home, you know, sometimes we talk about family devotions, and there's great tools that you can use. One of the things I've found is just being spontaneous as opposed to formulaic has worked better in my family. And for me, that involves sitting around the dinner table with the family and going, hey, guys, can I tell you what I read today in Zephaniah? I've been studying Zephaniah for my own personal pursuit of God. And uh, I'll share with the kids some fresh nugget, not, nothing long, not life-altering, but it's getting through as I just kind of convey what I'm learning. My wife's found a great children's Bible that uh, my son loves. And so when Jen puts Jake to bed every night, she reads a little bit of this picture story Bible that's getting the word into him. We, we found this tool called uh, What's in the Bible. In fact, we have a little video over here. This guy is Phil Vischer. He, Phil taught here at our church this summer. Phil's a creator of VeggieTales. Some of you may have heard of that. Lives in Wheaton. He's actually become a friend of mine recently. And he made this huge, it's like 14 DVDs, just like hours and hours of training videos. Walking through the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We've got it all. Every Monday night, we gather with our kids, most Monday nights, gather with our kids in front of the TV, watch a 25-minute episode that is very entertaining and very uh, excellent teaching, and then we discuss it. And this has been a great... uh, Phil has done such a brilliant job in this that it's deep. And and I, a seminary graduate, am learning from puppets. My kids will go, wow, did you know that, Dad? Well, yeah, no, I don't know. No, I didn't know that yet, but that's good. Yeah. And so I, I throw this out as something you can give to your grandkids. or uh, You can go online at uh, whatsinthebible.com and check it out. There are so many great tools that are out there that can help us teach the Word of God to the younger generation. All right. What does this do? What is the end result? When you're living the life, going back to the scripture, when you're living the life and when you're teaching the truth, does that guarantee that our kids will be saved and love Jesus and live for him? The unfortunate answer is no. It does not guarantee. What does it guarantee? Well, let's progress through this. It says here, wise for salvation. If you do these things, they're able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to give your kids 
the wisdom for salvation. It means that you equip them with the perspective, the truth, to see what the right choice is. You know, somebody can be wise and make choices against their wisdom. Look at Solomon, wisest guy in the world, and yet chose not to follow what he knew was right. And so we can't make the right choice for our kids, but we can make the right choice obvious for our kids. Do you see that? We can you know, live the life in such a compelling and raw, real way that the beauty of Jesus is on display in us. And we can help them understand and know who God is and what he offers through forgiveness uh, by the cross of Christ. They can know the truth. Now, whether or not they will choose to walk in the way of that wisdom and place their faith, their trust in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, that's up to them. We can only give them the wisdom that points to that. And that was uh, reminded to me just on Friday night when I was talking with a member of our congregation at our Wheaton campus. Did you know a movie star was a part of our church? Yeah, uh, John Belushi was a part of the Compass Church back when he was a young man. Some of you young people have no idea who John Belushi was. Uh, he was a very popular comedian, died a tragic death at the age of 33 as he was ODing on cocaine and heroin together. Tragic story. But as a young man, John Belushi attended the Iwana Clubs at our Wheaton campus. Grew up in Wheaton, attended for three years. And I was talking with the guy who was John Belushi's Iwana leader. In fact, I think we have a picture of the Iwana Clubs. And there's John Belushi right there. Uh, This leader said to me, Jeff, He knew the truth. He said, I taught him about Jesus. I taught him the wonder of God. And with just tears in his eyes, this leader said, and then I watched him tragically destroy his life, choosing to live a life of rebellion against what he had learned. And I was able to encourage this one leader, and I just said, Dom, we can't make that choice for them. We can do the best we can to lead them to the truth, but they've got to choose whether or not they're going to embrace that path of wisdom. Folks, the incredible challenge and high calling that we have been given by God is to help young people go from information to conviction and to lead them in the way of Jesus. And we do that by living the life and teaching the truth. And what is that to do? It will provide the wisdom. And most of the time, that wisdom will be compelling enough that they will choose to place faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to end by just showing you a little uh, gift my grandmother gave me. Uh, She said to me, Jeff, she said, this is a manicorn. It's a beautifully carved wood bowl, and inside of it are these uh, little cards with scripture verses on them. And I'm like, what's a manicorn? And she explained to me, she said, well, in the Old Testament, manna, was bread from heaven that God provided the Israelites as they wandered in the desert. And Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. We need to ingest like a bowl of cereal. We need to eat the word of God. And and she said, uh, I keep scriptures that I'm memorizing in this bowl. My grandma said, I want you to have it. And she told me about it. She goes, this 
came from my parents. Can I show you a photo? Uh, these are my great-grandparents, Selma and Ingvald Hansen. And they were only able to have one child, my grandma. This picture is 97 years old, and my grandma's still alive. Uh, in a few months, we'll turn 99. Isn't that incredible? And I didn't get to know them, but I'm impacted by them. This bowl, uh, I think of it, and I think they bought it. They caught a vision of the manicorn, uh, of how they could ingest the word of God. They loved God, and they loved his word, and they, they wanted to memorize scripture in pursuit of a deeper connection with the almighty God. They lived the life and taught the truth. And you know what happened? My grandmother fell in love with Jesus Christ as a result. And my grandma burns still to this day with a love for the Lord above all else. And she only had one daughter, two sons, one daughter. That daughter was my mom. And uh, my grandmother took this manicorn and she memorized scripture and taught. I wish I could say she gave it to her daughter, but she didn't. She gave it to me. She loves me more than her daughter, I think. <laughs> but I can tell you my mom loves Jesus with abandon. And my mom studied the word of God and taught the word of God. And I was convinced by the beauty of Jesus in her. And I am now living the passion that went from my great-grandparents to my grandparents to my parents to me. And now I'm just begging God, Lord, help me pass it on to my kids and help them pass it on to my grandkids. And may this contagious zeal for the God who created and saved the world continue to move through this family lineage. It's how God works. And he wants to work that way through you and through me. Let's pray towards that end, shall we? Lord, we love your word and we love how it speaks to us of the importance of helping these young people see you in all your glory. Help us, God. We're, we're just right now, we're crying. This room represents so many young people, kids, grandkids, maybe great-grandkids. And we cry out for the salvation of their souls right now. God, by your spirit, move in the young generation and raise them up to know you and love you and use us towards that end. Please, God, please. Help us live the life and be vulnerable and real with them. Help us teach the truth in a way that grips the heart. And God, we beg you, may the next generation adore you and live for you with compelling beauty far beyond what they see in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.